Bow to the Masters. This is the Selby is Got cast alongside TJ Zuppi. I am Zach Meisel. TJ, what's going on? Not much, man. I am uh, nursing a little bit of a sore throat. The allergy season is kicking my ass a little bit. So uh, I'm a little under the weather, but I'm going to power through because, you know, that's what we do every single day. I can relate. I go to an allergist every year. I have to suffer through the exam where they prick you with, like, they basically put everything you're allergic to in your arm, and you have to sit there for 20 minutes, and you can't scratch, and it itches like all hell. Why you can't? That? Why can't? Like that sounds worse than me just struggling through the allergies for a good two or three weeks. The worst part is that the test comes back. This was like I the, think the last time I had it was. Symptoms are worse than just letting the the allergies take their hold. The test comes back. My allergist literally told me. Uh, three or four years ago, he goes. There's, there's like 24 different things they test you for, like pollen and grass and all that stuff. Literally goes, you're allergic to outdoors. And like, how do we? How do you respond to that? <laughs> allergic to outdoors? Yeah. So. So does that get you out of mowing the grass? It should, right? Taking Linus no. on walks. I just I load up on allergy meds and I bring tissues wherever I go and I don't know. So I feel for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate your sympathy. And uh, it's too bad we couldn't. You know, Rosie just walked by. Jim Rosenhaus, Indians radio announcer. We could have had him on, but he's in a he's dropping F-bombs like crazy today. Yeah, I didn't believe that. I I, I don't want to believe that. It kind of ruins my thought on <laughs> on Rosie. And the He's such a... I, I don't even know what the word would be to describe him. Gentleman? He, he, yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's that's so opposite Good of Samaritan? What, I can't picture him ever saying a swear. And that's how you would phrase it. It would be a swear. Yeah. Um, what would it would have sent him... Off the deep end like that. Uh, do we want to go there? <laughs> I mean, it is our podcast. We're allowed to do whatever we want. There was some loud music interrupted his train of thought, and he kind of lost it, was, it for a It minute. was a little loud today. Anyway, I so let's let, let's talk about the Indians. That's why we're here, right? Um, it is Friday. The Indians are 24 and 24. They're 500. How about that? Do you feel pretty good about them being 25 and 25 and 26 and 26? Well, they were 23 and 23. They were 22 and 22 and 21 and 21, 20 and 20, 19 and 19, 18 and 18, 17 and 17. So the pattern here is they'll be 81 and 81. They'll win the division by 15 games, and they'll be the uh, three seed in the American League. Oh, man. That that would be some thrilling baseball to see that clinch celebration yeah. <laughs> after the team goes 500 and back. We did it, I guess. Um, so one thing... We, we were sh- better than the other crappier teams. Yeah, one thing we want to talk about is, because I feel like we've said everything there is to say about this bullpen, which continues to find new ways to make people angry or frustrated or confused. We've talked about the greatness of Kluber. We've talked about Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, Trevor Bauer. Let's talk about Michael Brantley and what he has done through the first uh, 40, no, 20, 30% of the season. I think we're like the 30% mark. He's hitting like the Michael Brantley who was an MVP finalist. 
And more importantly than that is the Indians outfield is absent Tyler Naquin, Bradley Zimmer, uh, Brandon Geyer, and who am I forgetting? Lonnie Chisenhall. There's so many of them. Four outfielders who are hurt. Yeah, how about Tito saying that they don't even have enough spots in the minor leagues yeah. for these guys? Now they're all going on rehab assignments. So some of them are going to double uh, A, some will have to go to triple A, some will have to DH. They're going to have to work back four outfielders. And for then, now, and then there, there might like happens. Rajay Davis is probably going to get hurt tonight, Greg Allen tomorrow. Jeez. Oh, could very well happen based yeah. on everything that's happened. And it's so ironic that the guy that is standing tall um, amongst everyone that has fallen and succumbed to injuries is the guy that has been so injury-prone himself over the last two years. Of course, no no fault of his own and through, you know, it's not because of a, a lack of hard work, but he just hasn't been on the field uh, consistently in the last two years. He is the guy that has led the charge. And, you know, right now, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, and the rest of the, the organization have, have to be thanking themselves every single day that they picked up that option. And of course we know, as we talked about many times on this podcast, that was not something that many people were were very enthused about when they did it. Do you want to fess up now? Do you want to say that you were wrong and you know nothing about baseball? And uh, hold on, man. I I I believe I said that it would have to be an entirely healthy season for me to feel like that this was a good decision to pick up that that option. So until that happens, I was not wrong. I stand tall as so would you, correct. Would you prefer Brantley got hurt then, <laughs> so that you'd be proven right? Uh, and being a little facetious because I have seen quite. Maybe not quite a bit of it, but at least a little bit of that on Twitter. The little bit that I've been on Twitter and I've tried to cut back because it's just been a pretty rotten place to be. Oh, it's a fun place. Uh, I can't believe that it's still only $1.99 per month, that website. Um, (laughs) Half of a cup of coffee a month. (laughs) Um, But I have seen it. That take isn't wrong, by the way. For people to, and I think we covered this at the time, the, the biggest concern wasn't what happens if Brantley's healthy. If Brantley was healthy, I felt confident in him, maybe not being this, what he's been this year, but still being a very productive player. A uh, guy that's going to probably hit 300, get on base at a 360 clip, and drive in however many runs, whatever. He's going to be a very consistent player. But the problem was we you didn't know if you could count on that. So I understand, and I think we both had the same take, that it wasn't about Brantley, the healthy player. It was about Brantley, can you count on this guy, give him that amount of money, knowing that the resources are limited. So if you have that opinion, I don't, I don't think that was the wrong opinion. What I've seen a lot of here recently is it almost feels like there are some that are rooting for him to get hurt. And, of course, they would never say that publicly. But just from the standpoint of being able to say, aha, I was correct on this. And to me, I would rather, I would always much rather, you know, at least putting myself back in my fan days of watching the game, I would always have much rather been wrong to see the team that I was rooting for benefit as opposed to the other way around. I'm I'm wrong a lot when it comes to my opinions on baseball and the, the way that the sport is set up. Inevitably, you're going to be wrong a lot. But tell them you like to put your foot in the ass. <laughs> the athletic owes me money. Thanks, Dre. Andre Nutt. What? Any, any, what are you guys any, talking about? We're talking about Michael Brantley. Oh, he's a. Oh boy! <laughs> in a good way. Oh, in a good way. Okay. Well, but do you sense any of that out there with 
with people that have been kind of just viewing it that way. That there's that feeling that there's a lot of people that would just rather see him get hurt so they can say, I was right about this and the Indians were wrong. Are you asking me to say if I think fans suck? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I was saying. I just... Do you get the sense that there are people that would rather be right about something than wrong about it and see the Yeah, I think it? that goes for anything in life. We all have egos. We're all obsessed with being right about everything. Um, yeah, I admitted I was wrong about something last week, and my wife looked at me like she had seen a ghost. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it's... But... I don't know. It's the nature of a fan, too, because you want to be... We all think we're a general manager. We all think we know what moves to make. We all. That's why people say, oh, you got to cut Kipnis a week into the season, and I'm not saying calling for him to be benched or cut right now is a crazy thing to say. But, it, like, you know, a guy gives up a run in his first appearance of the year, and it's like, this guy's garbage. I mean, it, it's, it's that kind of thing. So it, it's... I think everyone looks through the prism of their, their preconceived notions that they've already formed. For many, it, for Brantley, sure. it's that he's going to be hurt and that this is not going to pay off for, for them. It's going to end up being a, a very rotten decision. Well, let me, let me give you a, a parallel to this. Okay. It's like Brian Shaw has had This a, isn't going to be another leash story about Linus, right? Get off my back about that, okay? <laughs> you should have seen him, though, the other day. Took him for a walk. Great walk. Get to the end of the walk. He lays down in a mud puddle. Oh, of course he did. Went from a yellow lab to a chocolate lab. It seems a lot like the Indians bullpen right now. You yeah, know, things go well right to the end. So the parallel is Brian Shaw's numbers are pretty ugly this year in Colorado, and that I think some fans feel vindicated or validated because he's struggling in in Colorado, like. That means he's been he was garbage his whole tenure in Cleveland. And should the Indians have re-signed Brian Shaw? No. Especially for three years and $27 million, especially considering how his arm, if you know, if we know anything, like his arm should just fall off literally at some point here in the next year or two. Um, but that doesn't that that's backward thinking. Like he was very productive in Cleveland. The Indians miss what he gave them when he was here. They don't miss what he's doing in Colorado. And just because he's horseshit in Colorado doesn't mean he was bad in Cleveland. So I think it's the same thing where, like you said, you're, you're looking through things through the lens that you have formed based on your own opinions and what you want to see happen. And so some of us are better than others at admitting <laughs> we're wrong and admitting that... You know, the, the the main point here and the reason why I almost feel stupid saying the Indians shouldn't have picked up the option, and th- there, there's more to it than this, but a cu- I had a couple fears. One, the ankle surgery he had and the timeline they gave made it seem like he was going to miss April and that the target would be May. Don't you think that was a little bit on purpose, them giving off that... That sort of vibe, that maybe he could, that he could yeah. miss that much that much time, so that if he if he reached that mark, then it, it seems like the goal. Sure, and anything before that seems like a bonus. That's fine, but I also think there were other pressing needs. There's twelve million dollars that could have been allocated elsewhere, and it was there. There were just a, a number of factors that I, I, I felt safe in saying maybe this isn't the smartest thing to do. The thing you said at the beginning, though, is if he was healthy. It was worth it. If he played in 
I don't know, 125 or more games, it was going to be worth it because this guy can roll out of bed and, and hit 300 and, and be a productive force in the middle of the lineup. The Indians know so much more about medical stuff and physical training and, and recovery than we ever were. I don't know. I've watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy, dude. Yeah. Is uh, McSteamy your favorite? McDreamy? Uh, he's dead. Uh, Spoiler alert. Wow. Well, never mind. If they were on the show, they're dead. And I know this because usually my wife is bawling about it at some point. <laughs> um, is that show still on? It is still like on. season 20 or it something? It is really... It has been on the air for a long Jeez. time. So... So I, I feel like we all think, oh, this guy's injury prone and, and he's just had ankle surgery. What are you thinking? But at the same time, like the front office weighs these things and they can talk to the doctors and the surgeons and the, the medical staff and the training staff and have much better ideas about a timetable, a prognosis than we ever would. That's true. But there's also there's another side of this where, again, I don't disagree with, with those that feel like you know this is all going to be based on how many games he plays. And there's always the, the concern and always a risk that he's going to get hurt. But that also doesn't mean we can't appreciate what he's provided. Like, but, anytime I, anyone I tweets out Brantley stats, it's like, okay, well, he's been healthy 40 games. Let's see if he stays healthy 150. And that's fair, but you can also, like, applaud the guy for what he's done. He's yeah. been incredible at the plate. The, my point was, you know, they've also looked at the medicals. They've bet on those things based on that information and have been wrong before. Sure. Um, you know, and, and have given us prognosis and timelines that ended up being wrong. Now, you can never know 100% on anybody with any sort of surgery. It could be the most minor of surgeries. There's always a possibility there's going to be a setback with any type of injury. And you can only go based on, you know, what your doctors are telling you, uh, what the player is telling you, and you try to be respectful to the, to the situation. And so you, you try to take all that into account, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. I understand that. Um, but... The overall point is, and, and I agree with you, yes, you can have that in the back of your mind. Yes, you can. we can all understand that he needs to play a full season for that, or at least pretty close to a full season, for that to, to be the right decision. But in the moment, you can still take a step back and say, what he has done has been above and beyond my expectations, and I feel that way. You know, I, for, we both talked about how we thought it was a risky play, and you know, for me, I probably would have tried to have, have gone about it in a different way, maybe see if he could rework the contract. Um, and we're not in there; we're not privy to these things. Maybe they knew that there was no chance of that happening. And the tough know. part was, keep in mind, they had to make this decision before course, free agency, so they didn't know Santana, Bruce, Shaw, and Smith were all headed out the door. Or may, I mean, maybe they did. Maybe they thought, well, we're going to resign Brantley and, and say goodbye to those guys. But this had to be the first thing on their to-do list. So, at the end of this, you know, everyone feels like they have to have a take, and everyone has to take a stand, and everyone has to be right or wrong. And too many times, you know, multiple things can be true at the same time as multiple things can be false. And I think we can just kind of break it apart instead of looking at this as a black and white thing where they were right about Brantley or they were wrong about Brantley. In the moment right now, they, they look like uh, their decision is going to pay off uh, pretty monumentally considering this guy, as you said, is on pace to have his best offensive season since he finished as a finalist for the MVP award. Yeah, the other thing is I didn't think he had this much power left in the tank. He didn't hit for a lot of power last yeah. year when he was an all-star in the first half. Um, and, I mean, he's never he was a 20-homer guy, but he... I, I didn't know that he had that still in there. And he's not only... 
hitting, slapping singles to center field like always, but he's he's hitting for power, yeah. and that adds another dimension to that top third of the order, which is just absolutely scorching right now. Maybe he's just taking advantage of uh, you know there's a little less drag on the ball, so it flies a little farther. You know, whatever Major League Baseball found with their studies about why there's been more home runs, maybe he benefits from that. He's not a launch angle guy. He never will be. He hates the phrase. Although what he strives to do really isn't that much different than what people that tell you are changing. They're changing their launch angle and focusing on certain parts of the zone and trying to do with their swing. It's not that much different. It's just all in how it's phrased, of course. Uh, but you know, we're seeing we're seeing as good a Brantley as we've seen in quite some time. And I think there's something to him. You know, the last two times he came back from the shoulder thing. You know, when it initially happened that first off season, and then the second one. You know, he was battling the shoulder. He couldn't get in the cage and hit. He couldn't really build strength in there. This off season, yeah, it's okay. So he couldn't run. He couldn't. You know, do the the lower half um, maintenance of his body, but he continued to build strength in that shoulder. It was another year removed. So while it was two semi serious injuries, if you want to consider the ankle one serious because he had to undergo um, surgery for it, they were two different parts of the body and not related. So through it being a different type of injury, it enabled him to to rebuild some of what made him such a, a, a dynamic hitter and bring back some of that power that maybe we thought he might have lost. Do you believe in the term injury prone? Um, I, I think there are many different levels of that. I mean, are there players that play recklessly and it puts them in a position to be hurt a lot? Sure. Yes. I mean, are there, you could probably, I mean, science could probably back it up where guys maybe just their bodies aren't as capable of withstanding a beating as others. Maybe their bones are more brittle. I don't know. I, I think there are... Th- I think there's something to it. I think more guys get labeled that than that probably deserve to Because Brantley's argument to me earlier this year was, if you look at, you know, a, a lot of, his injuries are, he hurt his shoulder diving for that ball. Yeah. Um, and it was a significant injury, and he needed surgery. And basically the surgery didn't take. And so he had to have it again. That's a bad injury, but... I think he's past it. I don't think we have to sit on the edge of our seats and and pray that he's not going to have another shoulder injury. The one last year, though, was a matter of he just, and he said this to me, he planted wrong when he was running to first base. And, like, that can happen to anyone. That's not something that, like, it's not like he's got this nagging injury that just keeps bothering him for years and years and years. Um it's not like, you know, Chisenhall hurt his calf last year and re-injured the same calf this year. And I think it's fair to say that when he comes back, you have to keep in the back of your mind that he might re-aggravate that calf again. Yeah. This isn't like that. This was, he hurt his ankle. It got worse. He needed surgery. He should be over and done because otherwise he wouldn't be back on the field right now. And so Brantley hates, and you know, I think I, I remember the story was about how He's read all that stuff. He read the comparisons to Grady Sizemore. And he's offended by that because he says he's not... He disagrees with the notion that he's injury-prone because his two injuries have been significant, severe injuries, but they've been stuff that it's not the nagging type. It's the right. stuff that you have a major operation and you're over with. And it's that, like... That if, would if be he, a- but if, if, he, if he suffers a little nick here or there, or like 
I don't know, if he pulls his hamstring or something, that's not because that has nothing to do with the two previous injuries he's had. It would be, be kind of like comparing Carrasco to Salazar. Carrasco's been hurt, but it's because he gets drilled in the hand with a, a comebacker. Right. Or he gets hit in the face a couple of years ago. Um, and, of course, he did have arm troubles, too. But since he's he pulled his hamstring that, covering first in Detroit, missed yeah. six weeks. Okay. So you so you have Injury different prone. things. <laughs> you have different Don't pick up his that, option for next year. And part of it is circumstantial things that happen to him um, that are freak-type things. With Salazar, you're looking at the same sorts of problems with the right. same parts of his body. So it's not through fault of his own that he's injury-prone, but, I mean, the label does apply because it's the same recurring thing. And it's a different thing for Brantley. As you said, it's a, a bunch of, of different things that, that added up to being something pretty major. Like, wouldn't you worry more about Zimmer getting hurt than Brantley? I would because, you know, in Detroit he said he's not going to change the way that he plays. Yeah. Um, and I respect that because there are some guys that feel that's what makes them special. That's what sets them apart. And if, if he's not running 100 miles per hour, not literally, into the wall, then he's not making the spectacular plays that make him a valuable piece. So I understand why he feels like he has to go you know, about things a different way. I think Jason Kipnis probably has had to battle this throughout his career. He's a guy that you know, wasn't at Tito uh, his first year here. First year as the manager said, you know, he runs the first like his pants are on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, playing that way when you're 26, 27, when your body bounces back, okay, great. But the, when you're 32, 33, you start to clear that other side of the age of 30. You probably have to be a little bit smarter, a little bit more diligent in how you're going to to bang up and beat up your body. Do you think? I am completely switching gears here. Just thought of something. We talked to Francona today about what the Rays are doing, using an opener to start things off, Sergio Romo pitching the first inning every day. This would make no sense for the Indians, right, given their rotation? (laughs) I wouldn't think that it would make much sense. And given their bullpen. (laughs) Because you want the starters in the game as much as possible. The whole idea is Romo destroys right-handed hitters. The Angels have a ton of them at the top of the lineup. They can't do anything about it. They're not going to put Cole Calhoun with his 10 WRC plus at the top of the lineup to break up the righties. So you bring in Romo, who's great against righties, and then you back him up with a not-so-great pitcher and balance out the times through the order so you have, don't have to face those top-of-the-order guys as much for a guy that's not as good as as Romo is. For the Indians, their best pitchers start the game, so of right. course they want their best pitchers. And it's funny because as, as we're asking these questions, I'm thinking, well, if the Indians did this, who's who's pitching the first inning? Neil Ramirez? Oliver Drake? I mean, we, we, like, yeah, I mean, is, they're probably the team that this makes the least sense for. Yeah, I can't... I mean, the Astros, too. The Astros and... The Astros have a really good bullpen. They do, but their starters are yeah. just as good, so they don't have to worry about bridging that gap as much as possible. I, and I think it's great. I mean, what the Rays are doing, I think it's tremendous. Is it the future of baseball? I don't know. Can this be something that a team would use in the playoffs, though? Because I think it's it's difficult to do it in the regular season when guys are so routine-oriented. And you can try to break that mold a little bit, but still it's difficult to just designate one guy that's going to start X amount of games. But in the playoffs where you have more off days and it is more matchup oriented, you know, you wonder, not only do the Angels have a lineup that's right-handed heavy at the top, so do the Astros. They have a lot of right-handed hitters. And if you have a wipeout righty, you know, uh, he's on you know, their side, like Joe Smith. Who his 
in his career, what has he done? He destroys right-handed hitters. So if you had someone like that that could come out of the bullpen and take care of the top of the order in the first inning and then turn things over to a starter that's not as good as that? Tempting. I am also interested to see... You know, as all these teams try all these different things, how many more players are willing to try these things? And then also, how do we start getting past the traditional stats that, that we've all been caught up on for so long? Because you know, for guys in arbitration right now, they're still worried about holds and saves. Um, you know, and you can go in there and talk about you know, win expectancy and, and what you do in high leverage situations. But you know, it's not a necessarily about that. It's about who's sitting on the panel and listening to these things. And they've, for how many years, heard that holds and saves are the most important thing and what we're going to base everything on. So how, how do we change the traditional view of what makes a reliever good and how do players adapt and how willing are they to try those different things? It's simple. You make sure that all arbitrators are also sabermetricians. And if they buy into advanced statistics... Sabermetricians sounds like, you know, something I would take my dog to to make sure that he's getting enough calcium in his diet. <laughs> um, I feel like, did you have an interesting chat with Andrew Miller about this? And we might be able to read it I soon did. on The Athletic? I did. Um, and, and Andrew's great on pretty much everything, but this in particular because of... You know his relationship to the Players Association. He has an eye on this as much as he has an eye on this for him personally becoming a free agent. Um, he also has an eye on what's best for the players too. So I talked to him for like 12 minutes today just on that topic. Um, and he even admitted that it made it easier in New York to be open to leaving the closer role because he knew he had the, the you know the financial stability already in his back pocket. Um, it may it may be a different thing now, and he said the first thing was always going to be winning. He, that's all he was really concerned about. That's why he went to New York in the first place because he thought he had a great chance to win. But it did make it a little bit easier to open himself up to that, and no doubt other players are going to feel that same way. If they have the financial stability already, if they have the contract, then they're not going to worry as much as a guy that doesn't have that, that's making the league minimum, that maybe is coming up in arbitration next year, and is worried, you know, if I'm not pitching in the eighth and ninth inning, I'm not going to get paid like everybody else. Sure, but in the grand scheme, none of this matters, because the universe is ever-expanding, and we don't know what it's expanding into. Um, I'm changing the topic here, because I talked to Mike Clevenger today about space and life and the things we don't know, which you don't know what you don't know. And do you know why you never die in your dreams? Because your brain has no capacity to understand what the end would be. Correct. That was one little nugget he dropped. Um, so he, he was tweeting about... I feel like we might listen to the same podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw a... My wife and I saw a little 20-minute I don't know, documentary maybe? Narrated by Neil deGrasse Tyson last week. Oh boy. And your brain is still in intact. Yeah, I love this stuff. I want to know the meaning of life, why we're here, what was what preceded the Big Bang, all that stuff. What happens when we die? Why do we dream? All the questions we don't have answers for that we never will. I want to solve it all, but... Well, talking to Clevenger is probably a good place to start. Yeah, so I, f I figured I would share with him what I watched in this documentary. And, of course, he had heard of it. He had he follows Neil deGrasse Tyson religiously. He told me some 
some uh, documentary to watch on the Discovery Channel that he's part of, and uh, it's yeah, I don't know. Now it makes me think like whenever I'm stressed now, it's like well, who cares? Because none of this matters because there are gajillions of other planets and solar systems and galaxies and maybe other universes. What is the what is a universe? Is there another dimension? Yes, he thinks it's on the other side of black holes. It could be. It could very well be. And that scientists have figured out how to create a black hole, but they can only create one about the size of a penny. Well, yeah. I mean, if you made a large one, it would suck everybody in. Yeah, but so... So, uh... But I want to know what's in the other dimension. I want to know how to get there. Uh, I wonder if we have similar thoughts on time. Time time, is bullshit. Time is not a linear thing, how it all happens all at once. And I have these same... I found out that I have these same uh, thoughts on time as uh, Nikola Tesla. Are you so, share those with us, or I mean, time happens all at once. It's all happening right now in this very second. Yeah. Can your brain wrap your, itself around that? I'm sure Mike Clevenger's can. I'm also curious as to how many picks so many people off. So that's something <laughs> I have to talk to him about. I didn't know but how to segue from. But that's also something that you know, it maybe in a different dimension, the Mike Clevenger of Earth B is not as good as picking people off. Speaking of uh, dark matter in the universe, uh, how's your changeup been? Yeah, I didn't. There was no like, <laughs> no easy segue there. Do you have a random Indian? I do of the day for us. I do. Um, and you've set the bar so high here that I came up with one that originally you had zero chance of getting. Uh, but I think I found one that maybe maybe you have a better chance at. Uh, I'm so nervous at getting. Uh, I will say this is a pitcher. Okay. That pitched. See, he is now Ron Valone. That is not Ron Valone. It is a left-handed pitcher, however. Uh, he pitched for the Indians over two seasons. He pitched. Th- he had 37 appearances with the Indians, including seven games finished in the year 2000. In the year 2000, and in fact, he actually posted a semi-decent 4.05 ERA. Cameron Carncross. <laughs> it's not Cameron Cancross. Can of corn. Uh, he made his debut with the Houston Astros in 1997. Excuse me, he actually pitched for the Indians in three over three years. Which years? 98 through 2000. 37 appearances over those three years? He also had 14 in 1998. So at Cleveland, he actually had 51 appearances. His career with the Indians, however, he posted a 7.06 ERA. Not what you want. Tom Martin. It is Tom Martin, who is now yeah. 48 years old. Tom he Martin. was, he, I feel like he was, I almost said injury prone. Um, <laughs> I feel like he was hurt a lot, and I thought he was better than his numbers showed. God, that 2000 team, they could not find any pitching. Yeah, 99 and 2000, it, it, it got to be pretty bad. I remember Jamie Brewington. You know, in uh, in 1998, with the Indians, in 14 appearances, this was over 14 and two-thirds innings, he had an ERA of 1289. <laughs> now, 1289, 21 earned runs in 14 and two-thirds innings, gave up 29 hits. To be fair, hitting was walks, at an all-time high. 12 walks, 9 strikeouts, not, again, what you want. However, his FIP would tell you that he did pitch better than his, his numbers indicated. I would hope so. 
it uh, it was actually closer to a 7.03. Okay. Fit. So that's probably why they brought him back the next uh, year. You know, regression. Once it took hold, he came back. And I said in 2000, he gave him a 4.05 ERA over 31 appearances. But it is Tom Martin. You probably led the team in ERA. Your uh, Indian of your random Indian of the day. Can I see he, his picture? You you can. He actually uh, his last game was July 19th, 2007. Wow. Tom Martin. Generic white guy with a goatee. I think uh, if you created a player in any point during <laughs> any of those seasons. What number was he? 99 to uh, 2000. You can find one. Uh, 36. I was going to say 37. Okay. 36. He wore number 41, 36, 34, 52, 51, 38, and 39 in his career. All right. That's enough of Tom Martin, I think. Any... Uh, what else do we got? Any parting words? Oh, I wanted to ask you this. Someone asked us in the Q&A. Um, they like when we talk about our favorite moments, what we've covered, what we've seen. Do you have a, since we passed the quarter mark of the season, is there a uh, favorite, moments from favorite this moment season? from this season that you've covered or witnessed or oh. heard about? They're giving me some time to prepare. I don't know. Well, you can. I mean, I said mine was Puerto Rico when Lindor hit the home run and sure. seeing his old easy. school stuff like that. That was that was pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, anything in Houston that was uh, fun besides getting out of Houston? <laughs> that was that was probably the highlight of the trip. I felt bad. My Uber driver. Um, asked if I had an enjoyable trip to Houston, if I enjoyed my time in Houston. And I didn't want to talk bad about a city. I do not enjoy Houston. The ballpark is fine, I guess. But I will say... It's my least favorite trip. Um, that ballpark, once the roof is closed, I understand why... Because at one point, one of the reporters there made reference to the fact that on every fly ball, every fan stands because they think it's out of the park. They have a right to think that because every ball that's hit there, that's hit even remotely well, like an exit velocity, a velocity above 89, will sound like cannon fire in there. And then they back it up when there's actually a home run with actual cannon fire <laughs> that blows your eardrums <laughs> To be fair, I think the two home runs with the lowest exit velocity of the season in baseball were hit in that series. Yeah. Brian Springer's and I think Brantley's, both to left field. I mean, you can... That's There's going to be a day where someone checks swings and hits a home <laughs> run to left. That The box, the, those seats that come out there in left field, I mean, you, you don't get... You kind of get a sense of it on television, but once you're sitting in that ballpark, you really sense how how close. It's amazing. And I, I imagine I haven't been to Fenway. I know you've been there a couple times. It has to be like what the Green Monster is. It, yeah. It's so imposing. It's right there. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I, if I were a right-handed pull hitter and anybody ever told me to go to the opposite field, I'd tell you, stick it where the sun don't shine because look at where those seats are. Right. Um, so you don't have a favorite moment? Uh, can I think about it a little bit more and come yeah. back to the next week? Sure. Uh... It was certainly not when Andre Knott came through the podcast. And yeah, we'd like to thank Andre Knott for joining us today. And <laughs> so I heard we can, we're now found on more than just oh, uh, right. uh, yes, I, Apple uh, Podcasts. I got the, the notification today. It's really good news because many people have asked. Some people don't have Apple uh, podcast and I have an iPhone, so they're looking for other ways that they can subscribe. Um, and there are like a, a bunch of different ways I can't even keep track of anymore. Apparently, we're now on Castbox, oh, and, of course, and Podbean. What about Audio Leap? 
Audio Leap, of course. Yeah, we're Sound on. Pad? Of course. That was one of the first ones I registered us for. Snarkle? Are we on Snarkle yet? Or just Stitcher? <laughs> uh, but if you go to not only our Twitter links, but if you go to the anchor page that we tweet out, it lists every single one of the places that we're available. So if you can't find our podcast right now, it has to be on you. That has to be a you thing. Because now, now we're on Podbean. If we're on Podbean, then you can find us. <laughs> we are omni, omnipresent, omnipotent. Gab Cruz, by the way. If, if the doors are locked oh. from this way, do you, I can probably still get out from this way. If they're, if they're what? You're welcome to the podcast, by the way. Oh, oh, hey, what's up? How's it going? Aren't you going to come say hi to everybody? Oh, hello. Everyone that sees you. How, how much fun do you have every single day here at Progressive Field? It's a good time. Interacting with the fans. What's your favorite thing you do up on the, the scoreboard? Is it the... Which game I don't do even play? personally do it, but my favorite is when they do the Lion King cam and everyone holds up their hands. Oh, uh, Simba. Yeah, the Simba cam. That never gets old. Yes. <laughs> it's also better when it's like an older person that they're holding up. I know. Mustard, it's... our mascot, holds up a can of mustard thing. It's pretty good. How about Deal or No Deal? Deal or No Deal is a good time, except for when someone wins $500 and they're not excited. Mm. That's happened? Do it's you just happened, take it back? It happens a couple of times, and I'm like waiting on a reaction, and it and it doesn't explode. And you're like, all right, well. Maybe they were like just having a poker face. Not every day you win 500 bucks. But when was that show on the air? Like 2003, maybe? It's got to be an old one. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing that's still a thing. Well, thanks for stopping by. Yeah. And about your door problem, I don't know. Oh, yeah, about the door. Okay, well, I'm about to find out. All right, well, let us know. We'll check in next week, see if you got back into the ballpark. So we'd like to thank our guests today. (laughs) Um, Scoreboard Gab. And Andre Andre Not. Who offered his pearls of wisdom. And amongst a bunch of other stuff. I'm going to have to edit so much of this podcast out. It's incredible. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, Yeah. Can we just delete this and start over from, from scratch? I feel like we could do a better job. Uh, no. All right. Because well. I have to go eat Chef Bill's meatballs. <laughs> All right. I'm out of here. Have a good week, everybody. See you.